As we conclude these episodes from our series, Seeking Skeptics, Pastor David will be taking questions from folks in the service and answering them on the spot. And there's some great questions ahead. Here's Pastor David. We've been in a series called Seeking Skeptics, and we've been walking through answering some common objections, or technically objections that people have asked us about, about the Christian faith, about belief in God. And I want to just walk through and let you know everything we've done so far so that if you have people that you run into, and if you have a pen, you may want to write these, whichever ones of these down that you know, will come up for you if you have somebody who asks questions. But we've done, we did a series, it's called Skeptics Forum last year. We did Seeking Skeptics this year. It went through postmodernism, which is a current worldview held by many people, a lot of people, that rejects truth in general, okay? And so we talked about that. We talked about naturalism or scientific atheistic naturalism, which is kind of your basic atheism. We talked about pantheism. I actually had a guest... Uh, video on that, which is about kind of some of the Eastern religions and, and current worldviews that are considered spiritual or new age, sort of God is in everything. We talked about that. We talked about the reliability of scripture, why we believe the Bible is reliable and true. The problem of pain, which is talking through the problem of evil, the problem of hell, how could God let people go to hell, and the resurrection, which is the historical reasonable proofs that Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead three days later. Okay, That's from last year. From this year, we did exclusivity in the bar for belief, which was explaining why it's not unreasonable or ridiculous to believe that Jesus Christ is the only way. Okay, we walked through that, and we talked about um, when you're when you're uh, approaching these kinds of issues, you need to have a standard. You need to have a standard for what it takes for you to believe in something. Uh, we talked about the problem of good, which is the moral argument for the existence of God. We talked about the problem of bad, which is the problem of evil. Again, mind control, drugs, sex, and rock and roll, which was the objections objection that Christians have done bad things over the years and are too concerned about wrong things that other people do. We walked through that. And then last week, hypocritical Christians. Why the hypocrisy of some who claim to be Christians is a bad thing, a really bad thing, but does not reduce one's justification for believing in the truth claims of Christianity. All right? That's all of those. If you have anybody that's asking those questions in your life, those are all on seekingskeptics.com. Every one of them is on that page. You can go to it, you can click to it, you can share those things, whatever you need to do, okay? So I just want you to know that those resources are there for you. All right, how is this gonna work today? We are gonna do, this is Hot Seat Sunday. That means you're gonna ask me questions and I'm gonna answer them right here and now. Okay, you're going to text questions to my phone. That's my number. That's my number. I'm going to answer all the questions I think I can answer in this forum in the time frame that I have this morning. Uh, so let's see if anybody has texted me yet. Get the number back up there. All right, people have. Okay, so, wow. What is the Christ follower's individual responsibility as it relates to social media postings? Yikes. All right. Let's just wade right in. Um, what is the responsibility of a Christ follower as it relates to social media postings? Uh, here's what I would say, okay? It's the same thing as, a, as the responsibility of a Christ follower in anything, in anything, which is to say the Holy Spirit needs to be guiding you. The Holy Spirit needs to be at work. Now, there are, there's stuff, okay, there's, let's look at it like this. There's bad, things you ought not to do. There's good, things that the Holy Spirit's like, you need to do this thing. I'm calling you to do this right now. And there's neutral, 
There's neutral. There are things that they aren't bad. They aren't necessarily great. They're just whatever. Most of what's on Facebook is probably in that category. Some of it is definitely on the bad side. Some of it's on the good side. And so it depends on who you are and what kind of stuff you post. Mostly for me, I just share stuff from the church. I'm kind of boring that way. I'm not, I never used social media until I came here and started uh, working, serving you all. I decided that I would give, I'd get on social media so that I could connect with people and that type of thing. So I don't do a lot of posting. Some people do. Some people post all kinds of stuff. And they're, the things that people get frustrated about on social media tend to fall into a few categories, Okay. One is people who use social media as a substitute, as a substitute for finding their value in Christ, okay? That means that likes on Facebook become the measure of your value. And, and we, we see this, all of you probably are familiar with this. Most of us may have even done this sometimes, like, oh, I only got three likes, nobody likes me, right? Or whatever. Um, and so if you're doing that, you're, you're off. You're off on the bad side. That's not neutral. That's bad. And the reason it's bad is because you're asking other people to do something that's only supposed to be, that you're only supposed to find in Christ. You're only supposed to find that in Christ. So if you are using social media to receive praise for yourself, let me be clear, okay? If you're using social media to receive praise for yourself because you need that praise to feel good about yourself, I need to pick me up, I'm going to go to social media, I'm going to post a picture, I'm going to post whatever, and I'm looking for that to lift me up in some way that you should be going to the Lord for. And instead of going and praying and saying, Lord, I feel down, I know my values in you, Lord, just let me feel my importance and my value and how you've made me fearfully and wonderfully, how you love me, let me feel that. That is a much better place, that is a much better source. As a matter of fact, it's the only source for actually feeling that way. So if you're using social media that way, I would say ask yourself, before you click post, what, is my, what am I doing here? What's my goal? If your goal is something other than generally sharing information or something like that, but rather you're finding your value in it, I would say that, that, you, are, that you are making a mistake that's going to harm you. It's going to harm you. So another one is controversial posts, right? I put things on that make other people upset, whatever that is, okay, religious, political, you know, whatever it is down the line. Here's what I would say. Is it true? Is it intentionally harmful? Is it intentionally, is it intentionally trying to cause somebody to feel bad? Is it intentionally trying to cause somebody to, uh, to, to have a reaction that's angry? Or is it intended to put forth a message? Because look, these are ways that we speak, right? And you as a as a believer, should be speaking. You should be speaking truth as much as you can. And so if the Lord has called you to speak truth on an issue, certainly speak truth on an issue. But before you press post, ask yourself, what's the likely effect of this? And here's what I would say about anything, okay? Social media, email, text, whatever it is. If you are communicating in writing, assume this. Whoever reads this thing will read it in the worst possible way it can be read. Okay? If you get an email and it says, you know, whatever, you know, whatever it says, if it's possible to read it as mean, thoughtless, rude, if you think about what it would look like if it was in all caps, because that's the way the person who gets it often is going to read it. I learned this the hard way long ago, okay? When you text, and, and spelling is always a good idea, just an FYI, okay? Spelling is always a good idea, spelling correctly. But if you, if you write an email, if you write a text, if you put a social media post on, the thought that you should have is, 
how are people going to react? It's okay to, to put something on that's controversial. For instance, to say, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. I can tell you that's the most controversial thing out there. Okay? There are people who are going to be upset by it. There are people who are going to be upset by it. But it's true. And if you do it in love, right, then I think it's okay. So it depends. Where's my heart? How could this be read? What's the worst way it could be read? And if there's a really bad way it could be read, alter it or explain it or do something like that. Okay? Um, those are the two ways that I see people using social media for their, their own value, finding their own value, or people putting on social, things on social media and not being thoughtful, or arguing on social media unnecessarily in public. Because by the way, everything you do on social media is public. Everybody sees it. And so if, you know, Eric writes something on social media and I'm like, screw you, Eric, you don't know what you're talking, you know, whatever, everybody's going to see that, right? Everyone knows Eric doesn't know what he's talking about, so I don't need to put that. Just kidding, Eric. Just kidding. It's easy because I have a microphone. Of course, he's probably got one back there, so I better be careful. All right. So, and then, of course, uh, my kids are on Facebook. A lot of your kids are on Facebook. So if you have a picture of yourself uh, on Facebook that is inappropriate, FYI, probably a bad idea. Probably a bad idea. All right. I'm going to look at the next one before I get in any more trouble. Okay. Let me. How do you best respond to an agnostic? All right. I like that one. I think we can do that in a reasonable amount of time. So an agnostic is somebody who basically says, I don't, there's not enough information. There's not enough information for me to make a decision one way or the other about whether God exists, about whether Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and so on. Uh, so my response generally to an agnostic is to walk through whether that's true, which is to say, you're saying there's not enough evidence. What kind of evidence would you require? We talked about this a little bit in the first week of, of Seeking Skeptics. What kind of evidence would you require? What kind of evidence does it take for you to believe, for instance, that the chair you're about to sit in isn't a hologram, you're not going to fall on your bottom? How much, how much evidence do you need for that? Generally, I just throw myself down in the chair. I'm rarely thinking it's a hologram, right? Um, I, don't, I don't generally go up and feel it out and do whatever. I just assume that it's probably okay. It takes relatively low amount of evidence. So what amount of evidence does it take to believe something? And then I walk through, what, what amount of evidence does it take to believe there's a God? What would be enough? What would be enough to justify a belief in God? Or a belief there's no God. And I'd walk through that with the person. And generally, they're going to give a standard. And I would walk through whether that standard is reasonable. If the standard is, the only way I would ever believe is if God literally made me fly right now around the world or something like that, that would be, I, I would ask questions like, what is it about God existing that would suggest that if he wanted to show himself, that's the way he would do it? Unlikely, right? And so I just walk through. It's easier if I have somebody here to talk with, with that one. But I walk through, what is your standard for belief? And then I start walking through the evidence, right? You say, I need this much evidence, and I start walking through the evidence. Because agnosticism is, is not, in my opinion, a long-term reasonable belief to hold. If you truly are agnostic, you don't have enough evidence. Another question to ask is, how much work are you doing to find out? Isn't it important to know whether God exists or not? And so if you don't believe you have enough evidence, shouldn't you be seeking and seeking and seeking and seeking until you know? Shouldn't you be looking through all the evidence, reading all the books? I mean, this is about whether God exists, about the afterlife, about eternity, about all these things. And so I would ask them, if you're an agnostic, have you actually gone through all the evidence? And I can tell you, no one has. 
There's so much evidence. There's so many things. And so um, that's where I would go with an agnostic. I would, I would ask them what their standard was, and I would ask them how much work they've done to get to that standard, and I'd work towards the evidence like I would with anybody else and try to answer their questions in a loving way. All right. There's my answer to that one. What's next? As a Christian, how do I help a friend dealing with severe anxiety and depression when I don't know how to approach it or understand everything? Yeah, um, that's, that's a difficult one. And, and anxiety and depression are so common, so common right now in our society um, that I don't even remember what the statistics are, but it's a very significant percentage of people that are on some kind of medication or other for anxiety and depression. We live in a world that is very fast-paced. It seems like there's always a lot at stake. It seems like we're always very busy. Um, you know, we can become, you know, anxious, which is just fear, okay? It's just fear. We can become anxious or depressed very easily. And so let me, I have some experience with this. I went through a period of time in my life where I had severe a severe anxiety disorder, so severe that I was basically unable to do anything. I was unable to do much at all. My wife loved it. Um, she did not. It was not good for her, but she was good to me through that time. And what I had to do and what I would recommend telling anybody to do is to work with those things, those thoughts, those claims <coughs> that are running through the person's mind and speak the truth to them. Because anxiety generally is a fear that's unfounded. They're fears that are unfounded. They're things that we worry about that we don't need to worry about or we don't need to worry about that much. It's not called anxiety when a snake is about to, to bite your face, right? That's a legitimate fear. Okay? That may be anxiety, but that's not usually what's happening with anxiety. Instead, we feel like that even though there is nothing out there that's likely to be of that kind of a danger. And so what I did for myself, well, I didn't do it for myself. What the Lord showed me and through help and through other folks and, and even medication and different things was that the Lord showed me that if I would speak truth, if I would speak truth against anxiety, against feelings that were negative, against all those kind of things, and just tell myself, constantly tell myself the truth, that I was able, that he was able in me to get me through that. I don't know, honestly, how someone who is not a Christ follower, how someone who's not a Christ follower, who doesn't have a good view, a good worldview concerning truth, can get through it very easily. I mean, I think the same thing applies, which is say, speak truth to yourself. But there are some things you have anxiety about that have to do with God, <laughs> that have to do with uh, the afterlife, that have to do with being saved, that have to do with all those kinds of things. And if you're not a Christ follower, those, some of those are legitimate anxieties to have. And so I don't know that I would help with those other than to say, I have an answer. Um, but the other stuff, you know, things are all bad. Things are going to be bad forever, that type of stuff. The kids, you know, I'm worried about the kids. I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. I would, I would as a believer, um, to a friend, whether they're a believer or an unbeliever, I would just have them speak truth about those things. Just speak truth to yourself. That's, the, that's what I've used with people when I've counseled them. It seems to be effective um, because the truth generally is. And so that's how I would work through someone who was asking about anxiety. All right. What else do we got? Do you feel a Christian who is dealing with an addiction can overcome it with God's help alone? How does one start a road to recovery? That's a good question. Um, let me answer it in a couple ways. Yes, 
and no, right? If what you mean by God's help alone is you say, Lord, make it go away and it just goes away, I don't think that that would be normal. I don't think that the normal way, like anything, right? Um, any more than you can say, Lord, give me a million dollars and I'll give you a million dollars. There are issues that we have to deal with and there are processes for dealing with those that we find here, right? That we, that, that we have to go through a process of confession and repentance and understanding the root of our sins and things like that. There are people who have reported that they have miraculously been healed from addiction, so it's possible. It can happen, but I don't think it's normative. That means the normal thing to expect if you're dealing with an addiction is not that you're going to say, Lord, make it go away, and he's just going to make it go away. I don't think that's a normal thing to expect for anything. I think God wants us to walk through these things because it's where we learn to trust him. It's where we see his power work. It's where we see community build. And so the way to start that road to recovery, there's a number of different ways, and it would depend on the individual, but the process is not a new one. It's an old one. It's been around for as long as Scripture's been around, which is a process of, of going to God, of confessing these things, of repenting from these things, of learning the habits to help us get through them, of seeing the root of where that addiction comes from. These things don't just happen. These things don't happen for no reason. These are all rooted in sin. These are all rooted in places where we don't trust God enough, right? These are rooted in places where we've been hurt, these are rooted in all kinds of different places. So seeking out those roots with, with good Christian counselors who can walk you through this scripturally is where I would send anyone. If it is a major debilitating addiction, your, your life's going to end today, there are long-term rehab programs and short-term rehab programs that help to deal with what I would call an emergency situation in addiction, okay, where you really actually need to be taken out of the place where you are and the life that you're living and so on and actually put in another place because you're going you're gonna to kill yourself or you're going to harm your, yourself and your family in a way that is going to be really hard to undo. That's an emergency situation. But for the normal person who's dealing with addiction, there are processes to go through. And I don't have time to explain all of that other than to say there are biblical processes and they're about finding the roots. They're about assessing your life, finding the roots of those addictions, finding the roots, the sin that's causing those things, working through that and going through a process that, by the way, is hard work and takes time and grows you closer to the Lord, closer to the church, closer to your friends, closer to, to, to everything that's valuable in the church. And you come out of that stronger. You come out of that stronger on the other side. I'm going to try, I'm going to take one more. Lack of spiritual authenticity among adults. Many youth have had no or very limited exposure to adult role models who know what they believe, why they believe it, and are committed to consistently living it out. How can we as role models of Christ reflect biblical truth to youth? Great question and an important one. Um, for those of you who are Christ followers, you have to understand the church as a church and understand what part of every single one of your roles is. And part of every single one of your roles is to be a role model for those who are younger, is to be looking to role models for those who are older, who have been in the Lord longer, who are more mature, who, or who understand things that you don't or whatever. We're all sharpening each other as iron sharpens iron all the time. I'm looking to you. You're looking to me. We're looking to each other. But one of the main, most important things is to take those who are on the firing line and those who are the most on the firing line, in my opinion right now, are youth, right? Really anyone um, from kind of getting out of elementary school probably into their 20s. 
And these people often haven't, as this person said, seen good, strong role models who understand what they believe, who can explain what they believe and why they believe it, and who live that out consistently, who do things like apologize when they're wrong, confess when they've sinned, repent, turn around and show what that looks like instead of acting like they're perfect all the time, who try their best to walk in what the Lord has shown them to do, who show real commitment to the things that are valuable. If our youth don't see that, then we cannot get upset when they don't model that for themselves when they get older. If you, if you don't do that, if, if we don't do that, they won't see it. If they don't see it, they won't do it. Okay? Just like you were taught many things, some good, some bad. And as you've grown up, the roots of those things, both good and bad, have blossomed out into both good and bad things in your life. The things that we build into our young people are going to blossom out when they get older, right? By the grace of God, he's going to stay with them and help them through. But it's our job, our responsibility, our role. We will be called to account for how we dealt with the youth that were in our midst, the youth that were in our church, how the body helped grow the youth. And they need us. They need us just like you needed people when you were youth. And so as you walk through the church on a Sunday, it would not be a bad idea to see those younger faces and pray <laughs> and, and write down their names and pray for them, okay, and know who they are and ask their parents how they're doing. And if, if it's your thing to volunteer for the, with the youth group to be that role model so they can see who you are, so they can see what it looks like to imitate Christ because that's what they need to know. And they need real-world examples of that. And so that's important for the church in general. Lots of good answers to some important questions. Now, remember, as Pastor David mentioned at the beginning of this episode, all the topics and answers to the various objections to faith are available at SeekingSkeptics.com. That's SeekingSkeptics.com. You'll also find a link on the Acts Church website where you can get directions and all the info you need to come see us this Sunday morning. And I hope you will. It's axchurchnw.org or call 360-885-9000. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us again for more great teaching with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate. Contemplate.